Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by the Auckland Faculty of the Royal New Zealand College of General Practitioners. I'm Rachel Jones, a GP, and today Kate Roberts discusses the role of acupuncture in primary care. Kate is a practicing acupuncturist in Wellington and is a lecturer at the New Zealand School of Acupuncture. She has a master's in traditional Chinese medicine and is chair of the Acupuncture for Mental Health Clinical Interest Group and sits on the Council of Acupuncture New Zealand. Welcome, Kate. Oh, hi, Rachel. Thanks for inviting me to talk today. So in a nutshell, can you tell us what is acupuncture? Sure. So basically acupuncture involves the use of thin single-use needles that are inserted into the body at very specific points. There's two main styles of acupuncture practice in New Zealand. So you have traditional Chinese acupuncture, which is underpinned by a philosophical framework dating back thousands of years. And then you also have Western medical acupuncture, or sometimes known as dry needling, which uses a subset of traditional acupuncture, and that's aimed more at um, stimulating the underlying myofascial trigger points and connective tissues and mainly for the management of musculoskeletal pain and movement impairments. So I'm a traditional acupuncturist, so I'll be able to answer the questions from that point of view today, but not so much from the Western acupuncture style. Um, Both are really effective and useful um, in the hands of trained and competent practitioners, but I am much more familiar with the traditional acupuncture style. Sure. So can you give us a brief history of this ancient form of healing to set the scene for us? So acupuncture is one of the oldest healing traditions that's still in existence today. I mean, it's quite phenomenal, really, that it's been around since before 6000 BCE. The evidence for it being that old is they found these um, beyond stones, so sharpened stones and bits of bone, that they think are linked back to the very early acupuncture treatments back in 6000 BCE. And it was thought that the earliest forms of acupuncture were actually bloodletting for demon um, exorcism, And obviously it's moved on from there, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, In terms of the specific point codifying, um, little is known exactly how that came about, but we can make a guess really that this is possibly the result of a very long-term accumulation of experiences, countless tests and close observation. And so what I find interesting is that this happened mainly from observation of nature and natural processes because subjects like anatomy and um, dissection were very much in their infancy. So acupuncturists developed this language, you know, uh, you might have heard words like chi or meridians Mm -hmm. kind of being bandied about. And this is really the language that was developed at the time when the understanding of the body was still uh, relatively new in terms of an in-depth study of anatomy. So while these terms are still used by acupuncturists today, things like chi and meridians, there's a much greater understanding now of the underlying anatomy of acupuncture points and their Mm -hmm. effectiveness. In terms of how acupuncture spread to the West, initially it was through trade routes and from missionary visits, and the interest kind of waxed and waned. And then I guess when acupuncture really boomed in the West, there was this quite famous presidential visit by Nixon in the 70s to China, and there's quite a few tall tales about this, but... um, The story is that he witnessed one of the journalists that was travelling with him needed to undergo an emergency appendectomy and some of his post-operative pain was managed in-house by an acupuncturist in the hospital Mm. and this was covered quite well um, by the journalists then post that and it really spurred this huge wave of research and education 
um, mm-hmm. in the West. And now um, acupuncture is very, very big in the West and more and more modern techniques keep, get adding, keep getting added to it, things like laser and electro, and, and these are now more part of standard practice. Thanks for that, Kate. That's um, an interesting um, insight into the origins of acupuncture. So once those needles are actually in place, what happens? How does acupuncture work? That's a really good question. Um, there's a lot of research in this area, and most of the research looks at two main mechanisms. So one, looking at the nervous system, and one looking at changes on a biomolecular level. So if I start by talking about the nervous system, when a needle is inserted into a point, the needle stimulates the sensory nerves, so the afferent nerves. And we know this because if you cut the afferent nerves, it eliminates the effect of acupuncture. But if you cut the efferent nerves, so the motor nerves, it doesn't. And so doing lots of tests, obviously, on animals, not humans, they've been able to map the pathways through the nervous system that acupuncture works which includes the release of different neurotransmitters at different levels of the nervous mm. system so, and the effect that they have on the brain, the spinal cord and the nerves. And what's quite cool is that most of the um, central nervous pathways that they've, uh, they've identified align quite closely with the traditional meridians in Chinese medicine. So they kind of were seeing these changes before they really even knew what a neurotransmitter or nerve pathway was. And uh, more recently, um, they've used neuroimaging techniques, so things like functional MRIs, and these have looked at the CNS response to acupuncture needling. And data from these studies using these techniques, looks, it looks like acupuncture might modulate the limbic system, which processes the cognitive and emotional aspects mm-hmm. of the uh, pain in humans. Um, and so it indicates that acupuncture activates the area of the brain that leads to greater self-regulation, so really ups activation of the parasympathetic nervous system but decreases the area of the brain associated with the fight or flight response so the sympathetic nervous system which is quite cool so in a nutshell in relation to the nervous system we can kind of summarize that acupuncture stimulates the peripheral nerves which triggers a cascade that causes changes in the brain and internal organs and from a biochemical perspective we know that acupuncture causes the release of endogenous opioids so, and it also increases opioid sensitivity which means that patients may need less pain medication um, when it's combined with acupuncture which is cool. And we know this because when people are on naloxone which blocks opioid effect it also blocks acupuncture's effect. So that was quite an interesting study that's come out about the opioid release. Mm. And another molecule that seems to be really important in acupuncture research at the moment is ATP, so the body's form of energy. So when ATP is released from the cells during acupuncture needling, which also happens during injury, it rapidly degrades to a chemical called adenosine, which is a signaling molecule and pain reliever. And it's been recently found to be that acts like a neurotransmitter. So it not only acts as a local pain reliever and stimulates healing effects at the site, but also has an effect on the CNS. And some human studies which have looked at acupuncture's role in adenosine release have found that adenosine concentration increases significantly during acupuncture and also it remains elevated for about 30 minutes after the treatment. But when non-acupuncture points are needled, this doesn't happen. So the release of this particular neurotransmitter seems quite specific to acupuncture points. And I don't know if that's because there's a higher level of fibroblasts um, or clusters at acupuncture points, but it certainly does seem to be quite point specific, which is quite 
interesting. So I guess there's a combination of things happening. We have um, the body's natural pain relief um, being released. Uh, we have kind of links to the central nervous system which trigger particular responses. And then we've also got that local cellular repair and inflammation response. What conditions or symptoms can acupuncture help treat and what's the evidence base? So acupuncture is called a hormetic stressor. So other hormetic stressors include things like exercise and intermittent fasting. So they work by providing a stimulus that causes the body to respond with a stronger healing response and improved self-regulation. So this is why it can be used to treat so many different things. And in fact, actually, these days there's about a thousand recommendations in international conventional medical guidelines for acupuncture. Um, and it has, in terms of the evidence, there's about 8,000 published clinical trials on acupuncture. And just as a comparison, there's about 5,500 for physio and about 1,000 for chiropractic. So there's the rate of acupuncture research has really started to increase. I think it was a 2016 bibliometric studies show that the growth of acupuncture research is twice that of mm. any other biomedical research in general. Mm. So the research really is increasing, including and also the quality is increasing. Mm. Um, in Australia last year, this evidence review got funded by the Australian um, government regulatory body and it looked at the overall state of the evidence regarding acupuncture with a specific focus on systematic reviews and meta-analyses. And that review found that of the 122 conditions that they reviewed, there was evidence of effect at various levels for 117. And the ones that, the top eight, so the eight that had really clear positive effects, so you're asking what acupuncture can definitively treat, were migraine, headache, lower back pain, rhinitis, knee osteoarthritis, and vomiting caused by um, chemotherapy or postoperatively, and also postoperative pain. So there was potential other positive effects for a, f a further 38 conditions. But basically from this review, I think it can be really safe to say that the effectiveness of acupuncture is beyond the placebo effect. And it's also effective for far more things than just only musculoskeletal pain. And what's its role in preventative health, Kate? There's a really nice quote from one of the classics, um, the Neijing, which I'll, I've, I kind of dug out when I saw this question. And it says, the sages of antiquity did not treat those who were already sick, but those who were not sick. Mm. When a disease has already broken out and is only then treated, would that not be just as late as to wait for thirst before digging a well or to wait to go into battle before casting weapons? So um, in traditional acupuncture, the doctors were rewarded for preventing disease, but they were actually quite severely punished for allowing the patients to get sick. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad that's not still the case. But acupuncture was actually designed um, to detect changes in the body before the disease really manifested. So because there's some, you know, there's, it was developed with observation of the changes in nature and how this then impacted on the body, uh, it's designed really to keep the body in harmony before it gets into a state of disease. So I think it's got a really good role um, in preventative health. And how many sessions does a person require on average to experience the associated health benefits? That's quite hard to answer mm. because everyone responds really differently. Sure. But at the school where I teach in Wellington, when people come to the student clinic, we recommend that they sign up for a series of six treatments. 
and some will need more and some will need less but usually after six you'll have a really good idea um, of how that patient's likely to respond and if they haven't responded then obviously you would refer them on but usually if there's been a change you'll know by six treatments at, at a maximum you know quite can be quicker than that but mm. you know when I talk to my patients about coming to see me I'd say let's try six it might things might happen before then or and if we we need to readdress what's happening after six and then work out whether acupuncture is suitable for your condition mm, sure and are there side effects from acupuncture is it actually safe Kate uh, so it's definitely safe in the hands of a trained practitioner. In fact, it's one of the safest procedures available in contemporary medicine. Mm. The frequency of serious adverse events is about 11 per 4.5 million. Mm. So the most common side effects would be things like maybe pain in the point, a little bit of bleeding or bruising, and the really rare adverse events um, are things like nerve damage or organ puncture like pneumothorax but the rate of these adverse events drops significantly when the training levels have increased. Tell us your top tips for choosing an acupuncturist. So acupuncture is currently not regulated by legislation so we're not under HPCA yet so the standards are maintained by the professional bodies um, and to membership to them is voluntary but membership to those organisations does require that their members hold the four-year bachelor's degree or international equivalent and have completed minimum of 500 hours of supervised clinical training. So I would strongly recommend that referrals to acupuncture are very specific to those registered by a professional body until such time that acupuncture is under the HPCA. Yeah. Um, and additionally, acupuncturists that are registered with the professional bodies are able to do ACC treatments because they'll be registered as ACC treatment providers. And what costs are involved to the patient? So if, it's, if a patient is coming privately, so not under an ACC claim, acupuncture sessions average at about $60 for a 30 to 45 minute treatment. And then if herbal medicine is included, there's an additional cost for the prescription. Uh, if it's under an ACC claim, usually there's a 10 to $20 surcharge depending on the location of the practice. Mm. And for those ACC claims, Kate, do the patients need to fulfil any specific criteria um, to be eligible for acupuncture after the injury? So to get cover for acupuncture, you'll need to have a referral from um, an ACC provider that can lodge ACC 45s mm -hmm. um, and then the ACC 45 can then be taken to an acupuncturist for treatment. Um, but as I said before it would be really good if that ACC 45 was going to a specific acupuncturist and mm. one of um, one of the things I'm quite passionate about is trying to ensure that if a, a person is choosing an acupuncturist that it's guided by a GP helping them make that decision. So there's no rules or regulations that a patient might have to have tried other therapies or treatments prior to that? You could do that as a first um, line treatment referral presumably? Yep, so as long as they've right. been diagnosed and have an ACC45 lodged, then they can choose acupuncture. So how can GPs and acupuncturists effectively collaborate in day-to-day -day practice to optimise the best outcome for their patient? Um, what barriers do we really need to be mindful of, Kate? That's a fantastic question, and that's pretty much the question that I'm tackling at the moment with my PhD. <laughs> so thank you for asking. <laughs> Um, so interested to hear your answer. Yeah. 
So a bit of background. So acupuncture provision in primary health care really is increasing and seems to have significant support internationally. And when acupuncture is provided in primary care, it has been shown to reduce prescription and referral costs and also demonstrated some cost-effective approaches in the management of certain pain and other conditions. But currently the communication between primary care providers and acupuncturists in New Zealand is quite limited and it's certainly not done in a systematic way. So even though up to one in three New Zealanders is self-selecting some form of CAM, including acupuncture, you know, the survey said that up to 77% of patients don't dis- disclose this to their GPs. So one way, I guess, to start collaboration would be for GPs to ask if um, a patient is incorporating any form of CAM into their treatment um, and then if they are to record this and if they're seeing another therapist to make sure or to help guide them to find a suitably registered practitioner. If a patient has then gone to see uh, hopefully a registered practitioner, I would recommend writing a specific referral to that practitioner um, and then requesting things like a follow-up visit with the GP or a review call or communication with the provider to review the treatment plan. And then once these treatment plans have been reviewed and agreed upon that this is recorded. And the other thing, so I know that sounds like I'm just asking the GPs to do the work, but the other thing I've found in my research is that for some reason acupuncturists are really hesitant to contact GPs and I'm trying to get to the bottom of why this is. A lot of it is that they're not too sure what to say in their communications and the other barrier is that most acupuncturists don't operate under PMSs so they don't have electronic um, health link systems. So I'm currently working with the acupuncture body to try and develop some templates and to try and find some secure electronic means of communicating with GPs if someone turns up at our clinics Mm. um, and they're under the care of a GP but that GP might not know that they're coming to see us. Mm. So hopefully, I've got three more years of my PhD but I'm really confident that the future of communication is about to get a lot better. Fantastic stuff, Kate. So what resources are available for primary care practitioners who would like to learn more about acupuncture? So there's, there's lots. So the Acupuncture Evidence Project from Australia that I mentioned uh, is a really great place to start, especially because it summarises all the research that has been done to date uh, with the focus on systematic reviews. And then Acupuncture New Zealand, which is the largest registration body Um, has an annual conference that all providers are welcome to attend and this year I was really excited we had a GP present for the first time and it was met with great excitement and so I'd really encourage um, some more sharing of information at conferences um, because it was really really well received and I guess more on a local setting you know local acupuncturists are always willing to come and present you know either a piece of research or some information about their clinical practice at those lunchtime or evening you know, practice CPD meetings and you can contact the Acupuncture New Zealand office to find mm-hmm. a suitably located practitioner or just get in touch with me and I can, because I'm on the council, I can put you in touch with a suitably located practitioner. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the other thing is that previously there has been some CAM papers offered in the undergrad portion of um, some medical degrees and I think there's really scope for a special interest paper to be developed within the primary care speciality um, and so I'd be interested in talking to anyone who was interested in looking at developing of that and I guess also the other way is to um, come and experience a treatment and just make sure you go to a provider that's registered with a professional body so you know that they've got the, the, um, 
the suitable qualifications to treat. To conclude the podcast, your take-home message. So I think that with GPs and the GP's practice remaining at the core of primary health care, there is the option to triage patients to appropriate allied and complementary therapists when there is both patient demand and a suitable evidence base. And I think this would allow for us to operate at the top of our scope. I think the evidence base for best practice will also be enhanced through collaboration and a sharing of information regarding treatment approaches across the disciplines. Thank you, Kate. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you very much for the opportunity. If you're a New Zealand primary care practitioner and would like to claim CME points for listening to this interview with Kate, fill in the reflection of learning form found on our website, goodfellowunit.org. Thanks for listening.